But you see, it's when you begin to know this, like I said, it's the revelation, all those verses that are in the other parts of the first outlines, you know, when the, remember that verse that says the soul that's especially conditioned by the revelation of the grace of God as your mind and your soul is conditioned by the revelation of the grace of God, you'll be happy. Or like we just read in James 4, 6, but when all these things come against you, the, it says the grace of God will rise up. The revelation of God's love for me, remember grace, like some people say, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense, remember? God's riches have come to me based upon faith, not upon works. I could never be perfect in and of myself. But I don't care what anybody else says. I've been declared right with God. That's what gives you boldness to turn from sin. You must stop being so sin conscious. God wants you to become righteousness conscious. He wants you to become conscious of the fact that Jesus Christ has paid the price for us. Now listen to this. Man is declared righteous, not made righteous. Dietrich Bonhoeffer introduced the words cheap grace as a warning against indulgence. In other words, just doing whatever you want to do. However, we need to understand exactly what he meant by them. Cheap grace justifies the sin rather than the sinner. But true grace, on the other hand, justifies the sinner, not the sin. Okay? And that's Bonhoeffer's statement. And this is a powerful, powerful truth, but it's a simple, simple definition. So there is a cheap grace out there that people try to live by, and that's why I say every time grace is a dangerous topic because it's the thing that's abused the most, and we'll get to a lot of other verses. Point four, this again is intended to cause us to draw near to Him with freedom from fear. And that's what I started to quote, but this is Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven. Verse six, do not fret or have any anxiety about anything, but in every circumstance and in everything, by prayer and petition, definite request with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God. Now listen to verse seven. And God's peace shall be yours that tranquil state of a soul that is assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God and being content with its earthly lot of whatever sort that is, that peace which transcends all understanding shall garrison and mount guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Those are incredible verses. I mean, all the verses of the Bible are incredible. But see, this is what I mean. You need to study this. But see, that fra- those are the phrases that when I was a young Christian and I began to study this stuff that just jumped out at me. So then fearing nothing from God. Do you hear it? Paul is trying to say this. Guys, do you understand? So then fearing nothing from God, this peace will rise up and it will guard your heart and guard your mind against all those lies that say otherwise. But, you, but the point is this. I'm not supposed to fear anything from God. But again, we've got so many preachers today going, you better watch it. God's going to get you. You mess up one more time, he's going to burn you like a piece of bacon. You know, and I mean, just going after you. Like I said, Jonathan Edwards, the great American reformer. I don't know if I shared this last week or what again, but Jonathan Edwards, he's most well known for his sermon, quote, man in the hands of an angry God. 
That sermon is one of the most classic sermons ever written. I've got several parts of it written out in some of my notes and other things that I teach about what he really said. But the point is, he would preach with such conviction about hell. And we do need to talk about hell. But you see, you'll never really understand why hell is so hellish until you understand why heaven is so heavenly. <laughs> I mean, nobody would want to go to hell if you actually tasted what heaven's like. But the thing is, he would preach, though, he would preach about hell and hellfire and brimstone. And in the old little journalistic things about when he preached this topic, they have pictures like pen and ink drawings. People would get so frightened. They would, he would depict God as Damocles. I don't know if you've ever heard of the old, in the Greek mythology, the sword of Damocles. And he'd depict God as a God who was holding you by this spider web thin piece of string over the fires of hell. And he would talk about the flames of hell and the torment and the cries and the moans. And he'd talk about how man's, God's holding you over this. You know, he's just holding you over the fires of hell. And at any moment, any moment, you know, and he would do this with such power and such conviction that people would begin to scream and cry out. And literally, they have all these, all these testimonies how people would begin to have seizures. They'd actually go into physical seizures because of the fear that would come on them. He would paint this picture of hell so clear. Well, you know, I guess if it's the last result, maybe it's okay to get scared into heaven. <laughs> But that's not God. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, again, it is the goodness of God that's intended to draw your hearts and minds to repentance. God's plan is if we ever show how beautiful he is, again, you will want him. It's always God's, listen, judgment is coming upon the world. Uh, but again, in Romans 5, it'll say categorically that the wrath of God was expended upon Jesus. I'm trying to get to this quickly. But you have to understand, even in the Old Testament, I've, you know, I'm not a theologian, but I've had to challenge some theologians sometimes. I said, you show me one place, even in the Old Testament, where it was God's will to hurt His people. Show me one place in the Old Testament where I don't care what God's people did, what level of sin or debauchery or, or, or idolatry they got into. Show me one place that when they did repent, God wasn't lightning fast to restore His people. I mean, he wanted to get into them. He wanted to help. He wanted to bless. But see, man, because man, I don't know, because man's dumb, <laughs> we major on the negative. We major on when God did this and God did that. But that's not what this new covenant's all about. This new covenant is about something called the grace of God. God knew in the beginning, as I'm going to read later through some other people, in God's foreknowledge, he already knew the weakness of men's heart, the wickedness of men's hearts. So he made a way for them. This is what you and I can't conceive, that somebody would love us so much that they would know every stupid thing about us and know we're going to fail him a billion times over and yet make a way to always be there for you and never leave you. I mean, you know, it's just our human love can't reach those extents. You know, but he, we're not talking about a human love. We're talking about something that's far, far deeper and far more powerful. But it says, listen to that verse 7 again. And so fearing nothing from God. And that's what I want you to hear. That's what God's will is. He does not want you to fear Him with an unnatural or an evil form of fear. In other words, like, I'm afraid of God. There's nothing to be afraid of. Love never hurt anybody. Romans 13, 10. Never. Now, point 5, 2 Corinthians 6, 1. 
laboring together as God's fellow workers with him, then we beg of you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now listen to this phrase. This is how this verse in the Greek translates grace. We beg of you not to receive the grace of God in vain, that merciful kindness by which God exerts his holy influence on souls and turns them to Christ, keeping and strengthening them, do not receive it to no purpose. Hallelujah. But do you see that part? Did you hear what it said in brackets there? The way it's defined, and this is a real good rendition of, real good rendition of these Greek phrases, do not receive the grace of God in vain, that merciful kindness, and I mean, like I said, when I first studied this stuff, see, I would find those phrases, and I just say them out loud to myself over and over again, and think about this, that merciful kindness by which God exerts His holy influence on my soul and begins to turn me to Christ, strengthening me and keeping me all the while. I mean, I don't know. I just see and I begin to understand back there. I need to know more about this grace because this is what will convert my soul. This is what will begin to if I'll let it, it will begin to exert an influence upon my soul. And it says what it will do. It will turn me to Christ, not to sin, to Christ. Let me tell you, if something turns you to Christ by automatic, you know, understanding it has to turn you away from sin. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? So you see what I'm trying to say? The more you don't get away from sin by focusing on sin. You free, you get free from sin by focusing on the cure, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.